0: inspiring other people to want to follow Jesus as fervently and joyfully as you are. To be so excited about being a disciple that they're going out and making disciples themselves. I'll tell you what, that was Jesus' strategy to turn the world upside down.
1: Many of you know the voice of Richard Blackaby, son of Henry Blackaby, and the current president of Blackaby Ministries. I'm Ken Powell, host of the Pathway to Purpose podcast from FCCI, and on this episode, Richard speaks about the need for discipleship and mentoring the next generation. He's going to speak from a biblical passage where the person who was called to mentor is discouraged, depressed, and struggling to grasp how he could possibly make a difference when the odds against spiritual revival seem daunting at best. But as Richard unpacks the story of Elijah, we're reminded of the potential that our best days are still ahead, and God intends to work through us to touch the future as we pour into the next generation of spiritual leaders. Over the years, it's been a tremendous privilege of those who are part of the FCCI family to sit under the teaching of Henry Blackaby, Richard, Mike Blackaby, and the Vice President of Blackaby Ministries, Rick Fisher. And on this topic of mentoring the next generation, Rick Fisher has written an excellent book entitled From Generation to Generation, Building a Godly Legacy. Writing the foreword to Rick's book, Richard states, I'm excited about this book for several reasons. First, it addresses an enormous need. A recent study revealed that two-thirds of people who regularly attend church as high school students will leave the faith before they graduate from college. A 66% casualty rate of the church's young people is appalling. Fisher wrote this book at a crucial time when Christians are desperately wanting to get it right with their families. I'll include a link to Rick Fisher's book in the podcast show notes and encourage you to pick up a copy as you pursue God's prompting to mentor the next generation. I'll also include a link to register for this year's FCCI conference in the podcast show notes, is Richard Blackaby will be speaking again this year when we gather together at the Everline Resort in Lake Tahoe this September. With that, let's get straight into part one of Richard's message on mentoring.
0: So what does it look like when you... when you invest in the next generation, there's a, there's a lot that I could say to you. but Let me just mention one thing first, and that is, you know, we, we talk a lot about mentoring and coaching, but one thing I should just sort of put on the table just to mention, and that is that we all have a particular uh, calling, and that is what I call everyone's commission, which is, of course, the great commission, right? In, in Matthew 11, uh, 28, uh, verses 18 to 20, uh, it says Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, the last thing he says before he ascends to heaven. He, it says he, he, there, there's some there that are, they see him and they're worshiping him. Others are doubting. But it says Jesus drew near to them. And then he... So you, you know that he's drawing near because what he's about to tell them is so important they can't miss it. And then he tells them, go, therefore, make disciples. And of course... The, the command there is to make disciples. The command is, every one of you needs to be making a disciple. Uh, and what's interesting is he doesn't say, now those of you who just worship me, you need to make disciples. He doesn't say, if you're an apostle, you need to make disciples. There's doubters in the crowd. He doesn't say, those of you who doubted, you don't need to listen to these next instructions because I don't want you to make a disciple. He's telling everybody. He's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, I'm commanding you to make disciples. And then he goes on to say, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Which means you have not made a disciple unless the person you discipled is now doing everything Jesus commanded. And by the way, what's one of the things Jesus commanded? Was to make disciples. And so let me just state it this way. If, if, the, if you are not making disciples who are themselves making disciples, then you are not fulfilling this commandment. And if I were to walk around this room, now I say, you might say, well, I'm just not the mentoring type. I don't, I don't have anyone in a mentoring relationship. Well, okay, that, you know, we'll talk about that. But, but none of us is exempt from making disciples, which is inspiring other people to want to follow Jesus as fervently and joyfully as you are. And to be so excited about being a disciple that they're going out and making disciples themselves. I'll tell you what, that was Jesus' strategy to turn the world upside down. Jesus' strategy was not to fill stadiums and have revivalists preaching to them. He commanded the whole spectrum of Christianity and said, every one of you, get out there and make a disciple. And and there's no question that you don't have to ask if you have the spiritual gift of discipleship making or not. We're all commanded to do that. And and I think sometimes we, we we keep trying to come up with some other gimmick that the church can grow. If we got back to every one of us making disciples, the church would be overflowing into the streets. Um, and so we're all commanded to make disciples. And basically, when Jesus did, when Jesus taught people, he did three things. He first of all he taught them, and we're pretty good at that in our churches. Secondly, he sent them, and he basically said, now go practice what I just taught you. Go try it out. I I don't want it to stay in your head. I want you to go out and live what I taught you till it's in your life. And then third, they'd come back and he would process with them. And he would say, okay, how did it go? What did did you learn from that? And uh, and so I just want to kind of lay that out there first of all, just to say, we, we all should be making, I should be able to go up to every one of you and say, who are you discipling right now? Because if you're not discipling anyone, you are disobeying the last thing Jesus commanded us to do. There's no there's no exemption, folks. Who are you discipling? And I'll tell you what uh, I got to. I made a fool of myself yesterday morning. My daughter in law pointed that out. But I was I was able to stand by, behind the Baptist tree where my two oldest grandsons were getting baptized, and I didn't realize I was in the the, the video, I thought it was off to the side. And so I'm clicking cam my, my phone pictures of them going under and them testifying and I'm wiping tears from my eyes, my two oldest, grand- that, that generation, my grandkids are following Jesus. And afterward my, my, my daughter-in-law said, do you know you just, the whole time they could see you on the big screens and taking pictures and, and, and with a big smile on your face. And I said, but I can't help it. I can't think of anything that gives me more joy. Watching my grandchildren's age, following my Jesus. After watching me and watching my kids, they've they've said we want to follow Jesus too. So let me just let me kind of shift gears for just the last bit here, and I want to just talk to you about an interesting um, story that that happens in First Kings chapter nineteen. First Kings, uh, of course, it's. 1 Kings 18 is one of those profound chapters where one of the greatest men of God in the Bible is, uh, is at his, in his heyday, Elijah. And in chapter 18, Elijah is in his prime. He is, he is at the top. Uh, he, 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 call, he has a showdown. 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. One against 850 and there's, there's King Ahab, that ungodly king, and, and, and 850 to 1, it, it, odds are, are, it's rare that the odds have ever been that steep against the people of God, but he doesn't, he's not fearful. Uh, in fact, he's taunting the 850, he's trying to make them mad. It's like, if it's 850 to 1, don't, don't, no point making them mad, it's already going to be, the odds are huge. And, but he's, he's so confident. And then he gets up and he, and he prays a simple, confident prayer, and the fire falls. And I'll tell you what, every time I read that, it, just, it sends a trembling in my spirit when it says, then the fire fell. And I think to myself, has there ever been a time in my life where the fire fell? Has there ever been a moment I could look and say, now that was God? You can't explain that any other way. Now, you can explain this by my hard work, by my leadership ability, by the fact I didn't give up, but, but you can't explain that by anything except God. What can you point to in your life and say only God could have done that? Well, that's calling down fire from heaven's not bad, is it? And then, he, then he, that same day, he goes up to the top of Mount Carmel, prays, and stops a three-and-a-half-year drought that began when he preached a sermon at the beginning of chapter 17. I mean, this guy his prayers change weather patterns in three and a half year droughts. I mean, the, the guy you, you think about what he's accomplished, and by the way, in chapter 17, just for good measure, he raises a dead person. Now, if you had that on your resume, what? would you not kind of bring that up in casual conversation (laughs) it's like you're talking about the football games yesterday yeah it reminds me about when i raised the dead guy (laughs) it's like you know like you'd want you know every time you saw a fire you know you walk by a fireplace reminds me of the time i called a pillar of fire to come down like you know what you'd have to work it in right like that would just be the peak i mean it's like the peak and and you would think after that, of course, how could anyone ever lose confidence in God? How could you ever lose hope? But you know, well, the interesting thing here is a guy who can call fire from heaven, raise dead people, change the weather, and yet by chapter nineteen, he's so discouraged he wants to die, and he resigns, he fires his office help, he says, "I'm done, I quit, uh, I just want to, I want to die," and. You know, I've, 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 I've studied this a lot. I've tried to figure out how could you be calling fire down one moment and then be ready to, to die in discouragement the next. I, I think, in part, what, what the problem was, was Elijah really wanted to bring revival. And he thought for sure, I mean, you call fire down, you're, it's like being there before a joint uh, meeting of Congress. And there's the president. There's the Senate. There's the the, the House of Representatives. The congressman, and and saying, I'm going to show all of you right now that my God is real. And then you call a fire to come down in a spectacular display, and everybody starts spontaneously shouting out, "The Lord God is God." Would you not think that that would be enough to turn the tide of evil in your nation and see revival begin to spread? By the way, are any of you praying for revival in America today? Would you not, like a fire from heaven, wouldn't that be kind of a timely thing to have happen right now? Uh, and you're thinking, I know where I'd like the fire to fall too. <laughs> it's like, uh, but, but Elijah did all of that, which arguably were some of the greatest miracles in the Bible, in history, and revival still didn't come. And so he he just, he basically thinks if a ball of fire from heaven can't convince people to turn from their sin and their evil ways, what's it going to take? And he just, he kind of gives up. And so he goes all the way to Mount Sinai, goes into a cave, uh, curls up in a fetal position and just says, I want to die. And then I love that uh, in chapter 19, God comes and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, he might have been talking about his geography. He might have been saying, the last thing I recall, I told you to go to Mount Carmel. What are you doing 350 miles in the wrong direction? Uh, but I think what he was probably talking about was his spiritual condition. He probably was saying, I remember not long ago when you were confidently serving me, victoriously serving me, and now you want to die? You want to quit? How did you, how did you let discouragement get inside you so quickly? And then I love what he does. God basically says to Elijah, you can't quit yet because your best days still lie ahead of you, not behind you. Now, folks, if you've raised a dead guy and you've called fire from heaven, I, I can understand if you figure your best days were behind you. Things aren't going to get any better than that. But God, listen to this. God says your best days are still to come. And it won't be because you call fire down on anybody. won't be because you raise a dead person. Do you know what it's going to be? Because you're going to invest in the next generation. I hope you don't miss that. This is a guy who's raised dead people, called fire down, changed the climate. And God's saying, but if you want to do something really exciting, invest in the next generation. You're going to appoint two kings, king over Aram, a king over Israel. You're going to appoint Elisha, this farm boy, to take your place and be a prophet with with a double portion of your spirit. Folks, I tell you what, don't, don't miss the excitement that, it, that can be yours when you touch the future by investing in the next generation. And so I want you just to see just, I'm gonna just kind of summarize for you in a, a few moments, just four things that Elijah did. And I'm going to just summarize, you know his story well. Uh, what, what are the four things that at least that Elijah did with Elisha? And the first one was, You need to learn to invest in the ones God gives you. God told Elijah who to mentor, who to anoint, who to bless. Um, Elijah didn't ask everybody. He didn't didn't get open for applications. He didn't say, if you'd like to be mentored by me, I'd like to take your applications. We'll we'll keep the window open until next Tuesday. Um, he, He invested in the people God gave him. And I, you know what? Have you ever tried to force your mentoring on anybody? Have you ever approached someone and said, "You really need a lot of mentoring. I'd be willing to help." I, I've never found that to be helpful. I had a guy one time who actually emailed me and said, "Richard, would you would you would you mentor me?" And I I, I wasn't sure. I, I I I wanted to be open to whatever God said. So I I said uh, I, I started. I, I answered him. I said, "Well." Yeah, I'd be open to that. I said, uh, you know, I, I travel a lot, and so I'm not sure if I have a, a, a regular day we could mentor, but I, I said, uh, you know, usually Fridays sometimes are good, or Thursdays, or maybe Monday when I get back, and, I, and I'm looking on my calendar, and I'm suggesting a number of dates that could possibly work to get started, and maybe some things we could do, and all of a sudden, I just felt like the Spirit just checked me and said, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah, That's just sort of typical me. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm just like, let's jump in and get this thing going. He said, uh, I just felt like the Lord said, just back up, delete everything, all the plans, all the dates, all the, just say, I'd be open to it. What, what do you have in mind? And I hit send. Do you know what? He never, re, we never replied to the email. He ne- we never did do that. I was going to hand it to him on a silver platter. God was saying, no, he doesn't want it enough. He doesn't want to. If he really wanted the men, don't make it easy on someone you're mentoring. You'll change their life if you mentor them. Don't don't squander your life-changing moments on people that aren't that interested or willing to pay the price. I I'll never forget. I was uh, I was in my church one day in Canada, and I, I my brother was the pastor. I was a seminary president, and uh, it was youth Sunday, and so all the young people the youth were preaching. Both my sons preached their first sermons in Youth Sunday at our church. And, you know, usually the sermons weren't that great, but you just loved on the teenagers, you know, and you blessed them. And, and you encouraged the, the, the teenagers who sang special music, the teenagers who ushered and collected the offering and so on. And, but there was one young man, he's about 22 years old, and he, he worked at a factory. And he, was a, he, he wasn't a youth, he was a, a youth worker. He was a volunteer, his name was Mitch, and uh, and my my kids love Mitch. He he he. This kid just clearly loved the teenagers in the church, and they just flocked to him. And he got up at a certain point, and in, in about one minute, this this factory worker just basically told us all how wonderful our kids were, and we ought to be grateful to God that God had given us these teenagers, because some of the parents weren't so certain that their children were a blessing at that time. And he was telling them you. You're, I just love them. They, I love who they are and who they're becoming. And anyway, as, as he said that, the spirit within me—I just felt like God just said, "There's a young man that that loves young people. There, there's someone who, that he could he could spend the rest of his life working with young people." And, you, you, and I just felt like God said, "Go up and speak into that young man's life." And so uh, the, the service was over. And normally, you'd be looking for teenagers to bless, you know. But I I saw Mitch up at the front. I walked up to Mitch. And he was talking to someone, so I waited. Finally, he's free. I said, hey, Mitch, listen, as I heard you speaking today, I just was so impressed with your heart for ministry, for the young people. And I said, I just felt I need to come and ask you, have you ever thought that God might be calling you into ministry? And if so, I'm telling you, I think you'd make a great minister, and I'd be willing to walk with you and encourage you and help you. And uh, and so I'm waiting for the guy's response. He just He just stared at me. He never, he never even said thank you. He never, he never said a word. He just, just stared at me. It got awkward after a few moments. And I, I realized, okay, that, clearly I, that was not the Spirit's prompting. Uh, that must, someone else must have been prompting me to do that because this is not going the direction I thought it would go. I thought he'd be excited to have me want to mentor him. And he just, he just, like his mouth was just open. He just staring at me. It was so awkward. I finally said, well, if you ever want to get together for coffee, just let me know. Apparently, you don't, though, because you're not even talking to me. So see you later. And I thought, whoa, boy, I, I got that one wrong. Uh, went home, had lunch, and the phone rings, and I answer it. It's Mitch. He said, I am so sorry. I'm so, I so apologize. I'm so sorry for this morning. I, I said, uh, well, what, what was going on there? He said, Mr. Blackberry, I just got to tell you, he said, the last month or so, he said, I've just, I just feel like God has been just all over me telling me that I I need to go into ministry, but he said, I'm a factory worker. I've never been to college. He said, "I, I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I have what it takes, and he said, I keep trying to put it off and try to not hear God's voice, and he said, it just gets louder and louder, and I've been so miserable. I haven't even been able to sleep the last week, and he said, finally, just last night, he said, it got so bad, I actually said to God, all right, God, if, you, if this is from you, you're going to have to send a messenger to me to make it clear. And he said, the next day you're standing there saying, you felt God impressing you that you had to come and tell me that I would make a wonderful minister, and you'd be willing to walk with me and help me become that minister. He said, I was in so, sh- so much shock, he said. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even respond, he said. I couldn't talk, he said. I want to have that coffee. He's a youth minister to this day. But I'll tell you what, you, you don't force yourself on people. But if God gave you an employee, if, he, if, he, if, if it's a new hire and he's just eager to learn and just, just soaks up the time that you invest in them, or maybe it's someone in your church, maybe it's one of your own kids, but, but, but look to see and ask God, who are, you, who are you sending to me? Who are you putting on my heart? And I mean, I, I have people all the time saying I'd be willing to mentor someone. I just don't know who I would do. I, who, who would I mentor? I'd say, well, open your spiritual eyes and ask God to show you, and he'll let you know.
1: We'll hear part two of this message on mentoring the next generation on our next episode. And if this content resonates with you, then consider linking arms with the hundreds of Christian business owners and leaders here at FCCI, as we want to support your calling to transform the world through Christ. Learn more about FCCI events, business leadership groups, training resources, and more at FCCI.org. Thanks for listening, and may God empower your journey as you lead a company for Christ.